Anybody remember that one? I had no idea that this would become a retro intro video talk series. I did not know that's where we were going in the beginning. Now, yes, the, the title of this talk series is Escape to Reality. And so it just made sense that we would kick it off with, with some Queen, right, some Bohemian Rhapsody, because there's a line in there about escape from reality, all right? So that's what we used week one. That was 1975, by the way, in case I'm trying to make other people feel as old as I am, all right? What we didn't know when we started the series is that Billy Graham was going to go to heaven by week two, and so it just seemed right to go get Johnny Cash, the preacher said, Jesus said. We did that last week. That was 1971. And then it just became obvious that the best way to capture the theme of week three, well, let's just go get some Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. We actually moved into the 80s, by the way. That's 1981. The waiting is the hardest part. And man, if there were ever a lyric to a song that is true, that is true, isn't it? The waiting is often the hardest part of life. It starts when we're kids. I mean, even when you're a kid, you hate to wait. When you're a kid, the words you hate to hear most when you ask permission for something is not now, right? Not now. We, we hate those words as kids. It's like, no, yes now, right? I want now because otherwise I wouldn't be asking right now. Not now. We hate it. And then we grow up and we realize that this is going to be a lifelong struggle. And as technology increases, even more of a struggle. Now, I hope you know by now this is not a series bashing technology. Hopefully, the, the promo that TJ did, I mean, we're, we're looking for some folks involved in, in, in ministry who can use technology to do that. Um, I just got the coolest Apple Watch. We're not against technology. We're not. But the point is, if we're not careful, sometimes things like technology really can own us. It really can dictate our life. It can, it can, it can numb us at times. It, it makes us miss the things that are most important. And we're saying today, as technology increases, so does our desire for now. Because if I want information at any given moment, I just type in a few words, I click a link, I skim the article, because nobody has time to read the whole thing. You skim the article, you get to the point, I got it. Now, if you want to buy something, you go on Amazon and buy it. And if you really want it, you can have it by tomorrow. Right? And if you don't buy it at the moment and then you go back on there tomorrow or Facebook or wherever, in an amazing way, the thing that you were looking for yesterday is right there, along with Similar items that people with your same search history have purchased. Now. We want it now. If you want to go to a movie, there was a day that you had to wait for a theater. You had to wait for a time. Now you just log in and you watch it now. Shoot, you can watch an entire season of any program right now. 
You want to go on a date. You don't even have to learn the skill anymore of actually having a conversation with the opposite sex. You can just type in a few things and you don't even have to talk and suddenly you're the man. <laughs> Crawling internet speeds, lagging download times, we just don't put up with it anymore. And the very idea of going somewhere and someone handing you a clipboard with a long form to fill out, as in write. Are you kidding me? Ain't nobody got time for that. That is the world that we live in. We are accustomed to getting what we want now. It is instant gratification. And instant gratification pushes against one of the most powerful qualities that will ever be developed in your life. It's called delayed gratification. Not instant gratification, but delayed gratification. Making decisions now based on some long-term outcomes. Sometimes I'm willing to wait because it makes my life better, right? Maybe I'm saving now in order to spend something later. I'm, I'm, I'm eating healthy now in order to have strength later. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with a job that is not ideal, but I know that I need to do this now in order to be where I need to be later. Generally, when we talk about delayed gratification, it is resisting a smaller and immediate reward in order to receive a larger, more enduring reward later. And we're talking about it today because I'm telling you, most everything about technology pushes us exactly the opposite direction. The opposite direction that God often pushes us. The Bible's got a lot to say about it. Let me show you several today. Here's where we're going to start. Proverbs chapter 27. Just listen to this practical advice. Listen to this. Proverbs 27 verse 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed, and the new growth and the grass from the hill is gathered in, <coughs> the lambs will provide you with clothing, and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Now, that was written a long time ago. A lot of you don't have sheep or goats, but you understand the point that he's making a long time ago, two facets here. One, there are times you got to be willing to work when it's time to work. There are times that you can't just sit on the couch and play video games now because you've got to make a decision that's going to affect your life 
much further in the future. So there's a time to get off the couch and you got to take care of the herds. You got to take care of the sheep. You got to take care of the goats because if you do, over time, they're going to provide the resources. They're going to put clothes on your back. They're going to give you milk to drink. They're going to put money in your pocket to buy things you need, like a field, or maybe things you don't need, you just want, like a new game system. But you got to make a decision now that might not bring the greatest reward, but you do it for a reward that is going to be multiplied ten times over. It is making decisions now based on long-term outcomes. Sometimes I will wait because it makes my life better. Who enjoys waiting? Yeah. I mean, we hate to wait. We hate to wait. Why do we hate to wait? Just real quick, here's why I think part of that is. We hate waiting because it seems meaningless to results-oriented people. And that's who most of us are. We are result-oriented people. We like the prize at the end. Now, we, we understand that like a slow-cooked meal, right? You, you put something in the, in the crock pot, and it's cooking all day long, and you can smell it at your house. It's like, we'll wait for that, but don't be mistaken. It's still about the end goal for us. It's still about when the top comes off that thing and everybody gets to dig in to, to whatever it is that's inside there that smells. It's all about the prize at the end. We are, we are result-oriented people, and when we can't get the results that we want, it feels like it's worthless. It's wasting. We also hate to wait. I don't like this one, but it's true because we're just self-absorbed. We just are. We, we struggle with it being about us. We, we really do love ourselves. And, and when, when I'm waiting, it means somebody is taking what I want. My time, my desire, my result. And so I end up getting angry or I get depressed. I hate to wait. One more. Why we hate waiting, ultimately I think this is the biggest one. It's because we're not in charge. We hate waiting because it says we're not in charge. It means somebody else is in control of this situation. Because if I was in charge, the traffic would be moving. If I were in charge, the people would be moving. Nobody would be sitting here waiting, but it's out of my control. Something else is dictating what's happening here. By the way, you ready for this? Somebody else is in control. And that's to be the best news I'm going to share with you today. Somebody else is in control. And that's good news when I tell you who it is. But I struggle when I wait because I am often tricked into thinking that I would make a better sovereign than the sovereign. That's our struggle. I want you to see if what I'm about to read to you, again from the Bible, sounds familiar to our lives. All right? Let's go to the Psalms this time. We read Proverbs. Now check out the Psalms. Psalms chapter 13. Check out verse, check out verse 1. 
How long, Lord? You ever said that to him? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? That's getting dramatic on God, isn't it? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Then watch this. But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. It's like, what just happened? Was that the same guy? Was that the same song? And I'm saying, does that not remind you of the song of our lives sometimes? We, we show up on a day like today, and we meet with, with the church, and we sing about a God that we can trust. Right? We, we sing songs about his unfailing love. How it never fails, and it never gives up on us. We sing about how he rescues us out of the the chains of an enemy's grasp who wants us dead. We sing songs about our soul being brought back to life. And then we leave. And on Monday, the tune changes. And we, we whine and we worry. God, how come you ain't text me back? God, how, how long? God, how come you ain't text me back? God, I, I texted you. God, I, I asked you. I, I've been praying about this for a while. How, how come, God, I need an answer now? God, this is weighing on my heart. God, I'm feeling so depressed. God, I'm feeling overwhelmed. God, the, 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 my, enemy, my, my competitors are going to overtake. God, God, my enemies are going to win. God, how, how come you ain't text me back? Does that not sound like our week sometimes? Well, this struggle been going on for a long time. That's mighty David with that struggle. See, we celebrate God's quick moves. We do. And don't get me wrong, I like it. I like it when God moves quickly. I like it when you pray and he answers. Right? Just like a good God should, right? We pray and he answers. I mean, text us right back. We, we like when immediate healing happens. Anybody ever seen healing happen immediately? I have. We love that. We love it when there are quick victories. We love it when there is an instant conversion. There's somebody on our heart who doesn't know Jesus. We go to our knees. We begin to pray for them. We share the gospel, and boom, they trust. We love that. We love on-the-spot freedom from addiction when people call out to God and he sets them free. We love when God moves fast. But listen to me. 
God is sovereign. That means he moves fast when he wants to move fast. But he cannot be controlled. There are times that the Spirit of God moves like rapids. You ever been on rapids? I've been on rapids, man. It is a wild ride. I mean, there's water splashing everywhere. Sometimes God's spirit's moving like rapids. And I mean, it's just one corner after the next. And you're just celebrating every next thrill. And you're watching God move. And you're watching God speak. Sometimes God's spirit moves like rapids. Sometimes God's spirit moves like a glacier. A glacier. And I'm telling you today, often God displays his greatness moving slowly. It's a good thing that God has the perfect character trait that we often miss. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that God is patient. If you and I were God and Adam and Eve did what they did to God to us, I mean, if you gave Adam and Eve everything that Adam and Eve were giving and then they sold you out because they thought they could be like like you, you'd have got rid of Adam and Eve by sundown. That whole deal would have been over. But thank God he didn't. And here we are with an opportunity to trust A God who is powerful and loving. That's who he is. He is powerful and he is loving. When I say powerful, I mean he is in charge of it all. He is the creator of it all. He is the sustainer of it all. He is to say that he is capable. It is the understatement of the year. Here's what that means. I am not, I am not at the mercy of my circumstances. Because he is powerful. He is loving means that he cares, but with that care there is a purpose. There is always a purpose. Even even in the slow movement, he's faithful now. He will be faithful later because he loves. His judgment is perfect now because he loves. His timing will always be perfect because he loves perfectly. Our struggle is that we sometimes believe that we know better than he does. And our waiting problem is really a heart problem. And how crazy is it when we stop and think, why in the world would I trust me over God? Why would I do that? Why would I trust my power over God's power? Why would I trust my love over God's love? The psalmist, again in Psalm 27, verse 13, I will remain confident of this. I love that song. One of these days, maybe we'll sing it. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Good song. He says, I'm confident I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. 
wait for the Lord. And we go, yes, wait for the Lord. But if he could just give me an answer. If he just texts me back. It's like sometimes I would rather have, I think, no instead of wait. Right? It's like if you're going to say no, just go ahead and tell me no. Right? I, I, at least I'd know the outcome. And God, if you're for it, like the thing that I'm praying to you about, the thing that I'm asking you about, the thing that I'm requesting your help, I, if you're for it, I'm okay if I got to wait because you at least tell me yes if it's going to be a yes. Then I could face this differently. It'd be much easier if I had a guaranteed good outcome. Anybody feel that way? I feel that way. It's like Abraham, you know, just like you did it with Abraham, God. You, you gave Abraham a promise. Now, Abraham had to wait, but you gave him a promise. And, and if you did that with us, God, if you would give us the answer, that would make it so much easier to actually walk this out. And for a lot of us, our struggle is every day that God does not confirm that promise, every day that God does not give us the yes, some of us have this tendency to just add another log to the fire of impatience. And before long, our bitterness burns and our ingratitude smolders. We can no longer even recognize all that we have been given around us because we are so bitter about what we have not been granted yet. Like, all right. I, I, I want it to be like Abraham. God, I want it to be like Abraham. Give, give me the promise like you gave Abraham. Let's read. Let's read Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Obviously, I'm not in just one place today, and I did that on purpose because I want you to see how literally from the back to the front, um, your, your Bible is just full of this conversation. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what it says. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I love that line. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. But here's a, here it is. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. See, God, God told him. Without weakening in his faith, verse 19, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. And Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And we're like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. God, if, if you see, it says Abraham didn't waver, right? He got the direct word from God. He knew what was going to happen in the end. God, if you would do the same thing, then it would be the same with us. Well, this is one of these places in Scripture where this is what I call the headlines of Abraham's life. But the Bible also gives us the details behind the story. Does anybody remember 
some of those struggles that Abraham had along the way, moving toward the promise that God had made him? Anybody remember that Abraham once lied about the fact that Sarah was his wife because he was afraid that if the, if the Pharaoh knew that he would take Abraham's life. And so the big chicken lied. That's what we would call each other today if somebody lied about their wife. Come on. I mean, we would just rake them over the coals if somebody didn't have the guts to say, this is my wife, because I'm afraid if, if you know that, you're going to hurt me. That's what Abraham did. Did you know that one time Abraham laughed when God told him something? It was not a joke. God said, here's what's going to happen, and Abraham laughed because it was, sounded so ridiculous. Did you know that one time Abraham slept with his wife's secretary because he was trying to help God along with the promise that God had made to him but had not yet been fulfilled. Just trying to help God out. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. What you see in Abraham's story, his faith is strengthened, but in order for his faith to be strengthened, there, there's, there's something that had to push against it. And it's that way all the time. We understand you get stronger with resistance. A muscle, a marriage, a church, a dream, you become stronger. And faith does not mean ignoring the facts. I love that about Abraham. He just says it like it is. He's like, I'm good as dead. I'm good as dead. You're telling me I'm going to have a son and I'm good as dead. And my wife, she's just as old as I am. Her womb is dead. This ain't going to happen. Faith doesn't mean you ignore the facts, but when the facts are against you, it's trusting in the God who lives in you. And that's what we begin to see happen in Abraham's life when all is against you and when what you see is not what God said then you got to do what Abraham did. And you know what it shows us what he eventually did? He, as he's what, 25 years now, 25 years between when God promised and when the promise came to be. And in that 25 years, we are, we are given the, the picture back, at, back in verse 20, it says he, he, he gave God glory. He gave God glory. Even though he's as good as dead, he said, I've given God glory. I've told you this before, that word glory is the word kabod. In, in Hebrew, it means weight. And it is this picture when Abraham began to put his faith in the weightiest thing that could be. What is that? It's God, the one who is eternal, the one who is holy, the one who is good, the one who is all present, the one who is all knowing, the one who is all powerful, the one who is gracious, the one who is sovereign, the one who is imminent, the one who is transcendent. When Abraham began to put his faith in the weightiest thing that there is, which is God. Why would God wait 25 years to do what he said he would do? Because in that 25 years, God built a relationship with Abraham. It was not wasted. And at the end of that 25 years, 
the supreme test came when God instructed Abraham to climb a mountain and take Isaac with him, the son, the promise, and you sacrifice him. Now, if you ever, ever read this story, you need to read it. I'm telling you, God didn't require it. When, when he got to the top, at the very last moment, God provided the sacrifice. Isaac's life was not taken, but Abraham did not know that when he was climbing the mountain. Listen to what I'm telling you. In 25 years, God taught Abraham to put his faith in God. Not even the result of the promise. And I'm saying Abraham's faith was in God or else he would have never climbed that mountain with Isaac. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us another picture into this. Hebrews chapter 11 verse verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Here's what happens in Abraham's life over 25 years. Abraham's faith was not in the result. Abraham's faith was in God. Abraham does not cling just to the outcome. Abraham clings to God. His trust is not in the promise. His trust is in the promiser. God is the prize. And that's what Abraham learned in 25 years. See, we always think whatever it is at the end, that's the prize. That's what I want it now. I I like the result. I like what comes at the end. I like when God makes me promises because that's what I'm looking for. And God takes 25 years to say, Abraham, that ain't the prize. I'm the prize, Abraham. I'm the prize. The greatest heroes of the faith, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, they all had to wait. But in that waiting, God prepared and he blessed them. With God, something is always happening when it feels like nothing is happening. You hear me? With God, something is always happening when it feels like nothing is happening. But the, pro- the problem is our struggle is the same struggle that we see in the garden in the very beginning. We fight against this tendency to push God's instruction aside and push forward with our plan. Adam and Eve, they're going to push God's instruction aside and they're going to do what, what, what they want to do in, in hopes of becoming, right? Like knowing like Abraham pushes God's instruction aside and he's going to take matters into his own hands to get to the result, to get to the prize. And sometimes when we do that, we are making an idol out of the very good thing 
that God wants to give us. It would have been really easy for Abraham to have let Isaac become the most important thing in his life. Because he's the prize. He's the answer to the promise. He could have, it could have become just about Isaac. But God knows that's, that, is not, that, that is not what we were made for. I love it in, in Isaiah 41. I didn't put it on the screen today, but you can read it. Isaiah 41. There's a place where, where God challenges the idols. And he says, come on, you idols. Tell me what happened in the past. And then while you're at it, go ahead and tell me what's going to happen in the future. He says, basically, just do something that will strike some fear in us. If you're going to claim to be a God, be a God. And his determination is, you got nothing. Idols, you have nothing. You can't tell us the past, and you can't tell us the future. God basically says, you have nothing. And I think oftentimes it is why God unpacks things in a very deliberate, sometimes in a glacier-like manner. Sometimes he will start things with us that he lets other generations finish just so none of us can stand up and go, we did it. Sometimes he, he will pour it on more than just a nation so that no nation can just go, we're it. No, he works in a bigger arena, often beyond our era and beyond our nation. You've heard me say this before. We so overestimate what God will do in a day, and we so underestimate what God will do in your lifetime. God will provide what is needed. Abraham knew it. And you have the same promise. God knows what I need, and I don't. God can see the future, and I can't. God has a perspective that is eternal, and mine's not. God always gives what's best, and sometimes I don't even know what's best. God knows he is the prize. And thank goodness he will not let us settle for anything less than himself. But that is typically only learned in the waiting. In the waiting. And I think like Abraham, there are moments in our life that we've been whining and whining and whining about having to wait and this hasn't come to be and this hasn't been answered and, and then all of a sudden, God gives you eyes that can see. And suddenly you trust him and you love him in a way that you go, thank you, God, for moving slow enough that even I could learn to trust. I'm going to close this out just by um, challenging you again to put an urgency on not only living this out, but pouring it into your children.
Um, I want to just um, thank you for a minute for the, just the encouraging words that I've heard from last week about parents who really do love and care about their kids getting this thing right with God. They do. And some of that stuff we talked about last week of how to implement and how to protect and, and being tough when you got to and showing grace. You, you, just the feedback this week of parents who so want to do that right. I'm going to make a quick commercial um, before, before I give you the last pieces of info. Um, it is a commercial about an opportunity that is coming your way in about 10 days. March the 14th is the date. 6 p.m. It's going to happen close. Uh, in, it's in Harrisonville. It's actually going to happen at the Harrisonville Christian School. All right? So I, I will send this info out to you this week. I'm just giving you the verbal uh, info today, and then I'll send it out this week because I, I want you to get in on this if you want it. March 14th, 6 p.m., Harrisonville Christian School. Child care is free. All right? The, the, the session is free. It's called Faith Talks. Parenting in a Digital Age. And a couple of our own Heart of Life guys, um, Chad Middaw is going to be a part of that. Derek Fox is going to be a part of that. A couple of our guys are a part of the team who are literally going to give to you as parents. How do we do this in a digital age? How do we protect our kids when it comes to their devices and when it comes to our homes? How do we do that? So if you want more, and you really want to love your family and your kids, I'm, I'm encouraging you 10 days from now, March the 14th, just go. It's free. It's free. Child care is free, right? What a cool opportunity to get this right. If you got little ones, or even not so little ones, but you love them, and you want to know how to do it right, all right? That's my commercial, all right? It is important for us to pass this along to our kids. Um, I enjoy reading a guy by the name of Simon Sinek. I just, I like reading some of his stuff. I'm not saying I agree with everything that he says, but he, uh, he has a pretty interesting perspective when it comes to the world around us and next generations and millennials. And he just, he really, um, I think the way he says it's pretty, pretty, it helps me understand. He says kids have, have uh, growing up now, they've, they've so been told and they have so experienced that they really can have everything instantly. Okay? And we kind of look around and go, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way it's work. I mean, in so many cases, kids have just been taught they can have everything instantly. Simon Sinek says, except job satisfaction and strength in relationships. That's true. He's like, there's no app for that, and that doesn't happen fast. It is a slow, messy process. Now, I don't, I don't think Simon Sinek is a believer. I've never read anywhere, but I, I think he's exactly right. When, when it comes to right working in a way that you feel the, the fulfillment and some purpose, when, when there's satisfaction in what you're doing with, with what God's given you, if you're thinking about strong relationships, none of that happens instantly. You can't push a button and make that happen. It is a slow, messy process. He says, I will talk to a kid who, who maybe just graduated college and they're in an entry-level job. And he says, I'll ask him the question, how's it going? And he said, that kid will look back at me and say, ah, I think I'm going to quit. And Simon Sinek says, why are you going to quit? 
And the kid says, well, I just, I don't think I'm making an impact. And Simon says, you've been there eight months. You've only been there eight months. But he says, that's the stuff we're struggling with. It is this need for instant, instant. It's got to happen fast. He says, it's like we've got a generation of kids who want to make an impact. They want to make a difference. They're standing at the foot of a mountain, and the summit is the purpose. But he said, it's like they can't see the mountain. They haven't been taught that that there is something of perseverance and patience that is required in this in order to get to where you really want to get to. And even Simon Sinek says, he says things like love and joy and fulfillment and confidence and skill set. It takes time. And he's so right. And come on, then you throw a sovereign God into that context. And man, our kids could experience some incredibly beautiful walks with God if they understand delayed gratification. Here's what I would encourage you real fast. You want to help your kids with delayed gratification? Start young. Start young. When they are little, start this process. It might be as simple as you don't play outside until you get your chore done. And then he's saying, hold to it. Stick to that. And they begin to learn. It might be as simple as we're not going to start something else until we finish what we just started. They're just little things that when they're young, you, you start to implement those into their life. Start young. Second, follow through. Follow through. If, if you say, we're going we're gonna to exchange A for B, then make sure you're prepared to give B, right? If you say, you got to eat your dinner before you get dessert, then you better have some dessert. Because as, if they learn to trust you as a parent, it, it sure does help them along in trusting God. You, you being the kind of father that God is like as a father will help them trust. Follow through. Deliver what you promise. Third, when it's time, enjoy. When it's time, enjoy. In, in other words, maybe you're the kind of person that is okay with, I'm going to put this off because this needs to get done. All right? And, and you're disciplined enough that you'll put this off in order to get this, get this, until this gets done. But when this gets done, and it's actually time to enjoy what you put off in order to get this done, it's like, well, this needs done too. And so you do that, and then this needs done too, and so you do that, and then this needs done too. And before you know it, some of you, that is your person, that's your personality. It's difficult for you to enjoy. It's called compulsiveness, and I'm saying don't teach it to your kids. Teach them that there really is a time to enjoy. There's a time to enjoy. I lost track of what number I'm on, but if it's, it's okay if it's difficult. It's okay if it's difficult. Um, you remember when your kids were like really, really little? Some of you got them right now, and maybe their job is to help you fold towels. Folding towels is so simple 
until you throw a three-year-old into that mix. And then folding towels can be difficult. And if they're really little, I mean, towels, it's just a towel. I mean, it doesn't weigh much at all, but little arms working those towels, and they're bigger than they are, and the process gets going, and after a while, they're like, I'm tired. Isn't it funny? Folding towels. Help them finish. Because there's a part of learning, there's a part of learning, it's difficult sometimes. It's difficult. Anybody ever just feel like doing their chores? Anybody ever just feel like doing their homework? No, there's a difficult factor to it. One more. Consistently talk about what matters most. Failure is when we neglect what we want most in order to get what we want right now. And so the question is, what matters most? And I just want to challenge you to be intentional about having conversations with your kids about what matters most. Now, let me give you a warning. Don't ask them that question in the middle of a commercial. Because whatever is there may be what they choose. But pick a moment. Maybe it's when they go to bed. Maybe it's at at, at mealtime. Maybe when it's just you and them in the car. And just have conversations about what matters most. To help them understand, it is a powerful character who understands to get to what matters most. If I need to, I'll wait. The Bible says it this way, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. It it, it says, may what matters most be written on their hearts. And what does he want written there? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. May we live in such a way that our children know Jesus is the prize. God, I thank you. I thank you for all those Days and weeks, years, sometimes decades, represented in this room where we felt like we were waiting. God, it's likely there are some folks who are feeling it right now. And God, there's that part of us that we, 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 we can camouflage it and we say it's because we love you and we say it's because we want to accomplish. And, and, but the truth of the matter is, it's really, really easy for us to think and start to believe and start to put our hope in the result at the end. 
Sometimes it's really easy for us to end up making that our idol. We make that our God. And whatever that is, it is not qualified to be our God. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your spirit that opens our eyes and helps us to see, God, it is you that is the prize. There is nothing else that compares to you. And just like Abraham saw it, God, I'm asking you to help us to see it. God, there might be some folks here today who really are wrestling. God, some of them feeling, um, God, just a darkness because they've waited for so long. God, God, some feeling an anger because they feel like you, you never texted them back. God, I'm asking you to show us what matters most. And the answer is there is nothing in this whole world that compares to loving you and being loved by you. On this day, may we trust in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing as we close today. I want to invite you.